Yeah, no, I feel good. It's the end of the week. You must love the end of the week. The end of the week's an outdated concept, mind you, I think. Let's work collectively to bring that back into a contemporary vernacular. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host for today's podcast. My name is Todd Conklin. Let me get the microphone all set up just right. Hello, hello, check, check, check. Can you read me? Can you see me? Can you hear me? Can you love me? Okay, I think it's working well. That seems good. Um, everything's groovy here. I think you're really going to like today's podcast. I'm kind of excited about it for you. It's like a little surprise, and I always know what's in the box. It's like giving presents. I know what's in the box, and I'm really curious to see what you think when you open it and see how your reaction is and see if you like it as much as I think you're going to like it, but I think you're going to like it. Today's podcast is really interesting. I don't know if you know this guy. Uh, if not, you should. He's the director of HSE for the European Hub for a company called Lang O'Rourke, and his name is John Green. And he's, um, how can I put this? He's a super interesting cat who really is fixated with taking these new view ideas, this safety differently idea, and moving it actually to application in a major global powerhouse company uh, really across the world. And he's done a ton of stuff, ton, 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 ton of stuff with these new ideas, and he's already had them in practice. In fact, what's interesting is he started these new ideas in Australia when he was in Australia working with a part of his organization and has now sort of th been able to kind of thread him throughout the globe. And so he's got kind of a test pilot bed that he watches and he can predict what will happen in other organizations across the globe while it's actually happening. So, I mean, that's, that's a great – it's just a great – plus he's Scottish. So the accent alone is worth hours of listening to the – I mean, I, honestly – you, you won't be able to put your radio down or stop driving your car. Oh, you know what you may have? A pre-accident podcast driveway moment. That's kind of how it goes. So what do I have to tell you? Let's, let me think what. So I'm getting a lot of feedback on the story I told about the airline and getting ex escorted off the plane. You know there's more to that story. If you haven't heard the whole story, go back to the podcast with Scott Filmon on investigations and listen to the introduction where I talk about sort of Getting into a little, a wee bit of trouble, he says, using the Scottish accent um, metaphor a little farther on a plane. You, you probably heard it, so you probably know what I'm talking about. The crazy thing is, is I went through all this trouble, almost got kicked off the plane. The crew was really mad at me, and then I flew back home. So two days later, I'm flying home. I get on the flight to fly home. It's the exact same flight attendant crew. To a person, the exact same flight attendant. So they must have been on some kind of long trip for them where they flew from Dallas, flew around probably the East Coast a little bit, and were flying back to Dallas because I was flying back to Dallas. And the exact same crew, and I, I you could, uh, they absolutely remembered me. And I knew who they were. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting um, opportunity to make things right with both me and for me to make things right with them. I lived through it. It wasn't a problem. They brought me a full can of Dr. Pepper, so life was grand, and pretty much the, the flight made it. So I, I think that's how it goes. Are you enjoying March so far? Because I don't know what to say about it other than uh, 
It seems like the years kind of zoom by, and I'm always afraid when I say that it sounds like old man talk, but I don't mean it in an old man talk way. I'm not saying that last month was better than this month. In fact, I was pretty glad to see February be over. I was super glad to see January to be over, and I think I'm going to be kind of glad to see March get over. But who knows? Maybe it'll all get better. In our quest to find good in everything, I'm constantly searching for good things to find. And so that's what I do. The Decker meeting is really shaping up. And it looks like June 9th will be an open meeting. If you want to come and spend a day with uh, with Sidney Decker and myself. And at this point, I don't know where that meeting is going to be held. But it's a Friday, which is either super convenient for you or terrible. Uh, it's kind of hot or cold on that way. But it looks like we're going to have an open meeting. And I, and, and I know there's been a big push for that. I've definitely read your emails. I, I listen to you when you give me responses. I know that's something you desire. And that's something I think I can work into the system if you need me to. I'll give you more information. If you're interested, stay tuned. That's the best thing I can say. It will be a really good day because it's a it's a day pretty much set aside to deep dive kind of the next level of new view of safety. It's definitely a place for Decker to talk about what he's talking about. You know, I've got this new book out um, called Workplace Fatalities, and I'm going to talk a lot about uh, just the difference I see in the way we look at fatalities. It's fatalities. I think the way we're doing fatalities now um, are, are, is wrong. Uh, it just, it's the, the ability to predict a fatality is virtually zero. And if you can't really predict them, then they're very difficult to prevent. And so we have to think about fatalities differently. And our challenge is to really dig deep and, and kind of figure out how that all works out. So I won't yammer on too much longer because John's really quite amazing. I think you're going to find this podcast to be um, it's, it's like a masterclass. I think you'll find it really, really, really interesting. It was very fun to record. So without much further ado, will you sit back and relax? Enjoy the pre-accident podcast. Cause you know, we sure enjoy having you on board. Thanks for listening. It means a lot. This is John Green on safety differently. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to pitch it. Um, because it's always difficult. I think when you've been doing safety differently, if you like, for, for three or four years, I think you kind of assume everyone else has a level of awareness and involvement in it. And it comes as a big surprise to find there are a whole bunch of people who actually don't really know what you're, what you're talking about and fundamentally disagree with it. So it, a new audience is always tough, I think. And I think you bring up a good point. It's something I have to try to remember that we, yeah. we've been thinking about this for a long time. And, and what yeah. what sort of comes naturally to us is, yeah. is is not a natural position for other organizations or people in those organizations. Yeah. And your presentations kind of mature, don't they? Yeah. So they the more do. you're doing them, you introduce concepts that have developed from presentations and thoughts you had a year ago. But other people haven't necessarily moved on in that way. Uh, and you constantly have to bring yourself back to so where you know where were you when you first heard this or where were you when when you developed this um, and that's really where you have to be for a for a bunch of people so I'm trying to gauge what this audience is going to be like um, you know and make sure that well really make sure I make the most of it 
How much of that do you do in real time? Just by just by looking out at the people you're talking to and kind of well, thinking, uh, yeah, wow. quite a lot. And I listen to the other presentations and try and gauge the responses that people have to those. So, you know, if you get a bunch of, I, you know, sometimes if you get a bunch of traditional people up there and you get a lot of nodding, then I'm actually tempted to be even more outrageous than I would normally be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just that's just that's just the Scotsman in you, right there, my friend. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that's the Scotsman in me, and possibly um, an unnecessary amount of exposure to Decker. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you get started on this journey? So, um, we, so I was I was asked to go to Australia. We had bought an Australian business about eight years ago, and. Um, it wasn't really performing the way that we wanted it to perform uh, in a number of different areas, not just safety, but operations and commercially. It just wasn't cutting it. And so there were a bunch of us who were asked to go over to Australia and, and really do what we'd done in Europe for the last five, for you know, five years from 2008 to 2013 or, or whatever. Um, and in the in the belief that we would bring the performance of the Australian business into line with the European business, having done what we'd done here, and and that was about more clarity around account, you know, traditional stuff, clarity around accountabilities, a uh, safety management system that was proceduralized, rules, better engineering controls, all the traditional stuff, and um, and the business responded in exactly the same way as the business in Europe responded. We saw tumbling accident rates and we uh, we actually saw the Australian business become the best performer as far as safety is concerned, if you believe safety performance is, is measured by accident rates. And um, we kind of thought, so what happens now we're here? You know, we're, we're better, we're the better performance in, in the group, we're better than Europe. What happens now? Um, and it's not very often you get a chance to gaze into your own future. Um, it's it's a fairly unique opportunity. And, and we were able to do that because, of course, Europe had been doing what we had been doing, but for two years longer. So they had 24 months extra effort by applying more rules and you know, proceduralizing stuff that wasn't proceduralized and you know, basically controlling and constraining for an extra 24 months that we hadn't had. And, and so we had a look and we didn't like what we saw. We saw a business that despite all of this extra um, resource being deployed in safety, the costs associated with that, um, we, there was no improvement in, uh, in accident rates. And in fact, there were three fatalities in the business within the space of 18 months, all of which occurred on projects which otherwise probably would have awards for accident-free operation. Um, so we didn't like the idea of that and decided that we would probably we probably wanted to do something different. And that's how it all kicked off. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's remarkable. And, and so what happened next? I mean, where'd you go from there? That that, that I, I kind of think that's your presentation for Denmark right there. Is yeah. That, so we, that story is compelling. Well, that, and that's what we call it. That's that's really cool that you said that, because that's what we call it. We call it our compelling case for change. Um, you know, why would we want to change from anything? Well, because it had worked for us, but it wasn't working anymore. And the question, of course, is, well, if that's what you want to move away from, what do you want to move to? And it's 
it's really the whole thing is just about fate and, and luck and being in the same time as other people. Um, I got um, I knew Decker was in in Brisbane when I was in Brisbane, so I, I contacted him and, and said, "Look, it'd be really cool if, if we got together and started to talk about perhaps how we can how we can weaponize your academic theory. How can we how can we turn it into stuff that, that businesses can use? I mean, it's it, it's great on paper, but." And the big question people have is, yeah, but what can I do with it? So there were a bunch of us got together in Melbourne, and I think we started off with about 40 people, all discussing about, you know, how could we do safety differently with a small S and a small D. And by the end of the day, there were about five of us left. Um, everyone else's patience had run out. I was going to say, did, five, of, five did, of us left. Did they storm out, or did you kick them out? That, that well, was, there was a, there were a bit of you know we had trade unionists there who kind of their patients ran out. There were lawyers there, and uh, you know a lot of them saw their margins being eroded by this very different way of you know this revolutionary, dangerously revolutionary way of thinking about things. Um, and we had, we had, we ended up with five people at the end of it. You know, names who are very familiar. So there was myself. You know, Decker was there. Daniel Hamadal, Kelvin Gen, and a couple of others on the on the periphery, and, and when we decided that yeah we were going to give this a go, we were going to um, we were going to come up with another way. We, we would come up with a change to for safety, an alternative vision of safety um, that would allow us uh, to 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 look at safety rather than simply you know, the management of deficits, which I think is where traditionally it is we would look to safety to be something different. And, and it would be the positive force that it was when I when I actually joined safety about 40 years ago. I, it was a positive force. It was about success. It was about businesses making decisions that involved, you know, proper risk management. It was about contributing to those decisions. And it was about everyone going home safely every day. So it was very much a kind of return to the the kind of ethical stance of safety that I had I had joined in the 1970s. That's remarkable. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great story. And, and so what happens next? I mean, so, so did you go out and, and take this organization you were with in Australia and start moving them in, in the new direction? Yeah, we did. So we, we kind of, I think what we tried to do, first of all, so it's a, it, it's a big, it's a huge organization. Langer Rock's a huge organization and it's full of engineers, you know, and engineers are, only, they're the second worst group to try and convince that they need to move away from something that's linear, Newtonian cause and effect. The worst group to try and persuade about doing this are safety people. You know, so, <laughs> strangely enough, it's true. Um, so we had to, we really had to come up with a, a really coherent and compelling set of, um, of stories that really allowed them to to move from the old way to the new way. So what we did was. We try to, you know, try to create the what's the characteristics of traditional safety, you know. So if if safety was to be a person, how would you describe it? What height would it be? What colour were its eyes? Would you know? How would you characterise safety? And we came up with a number of things, you know. We so we, we thought that we believe the system is safe. So the system creates safety for us. And, you know, if only the dumbasses that work for us would follow the, the rules that we give them and everything would be fine. And, and so that's a that's a characteristic, I think, of the traditional way of doing safety, that safety is the absence of something. 
You know, it's not about stuff you have. It's about stuff you don't want. So when we talk about safety with accidents and risks and hazards and all these sorts of stuff, we're actually not talking about safety. We're talking about unsafety. We're talking about the opposite of safety. But we kind of have this, this vision that if we, if we control all of these things and don't have accidents, then we've created safety somehow. And we had to break that, that belief that safety was about bad stuff not happening. And we did that by you know, referring back to our European business where we'd had the fatalities. And there was no warning that these fatalities were, 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 were coming, they, certainly not by looking at traditional safety uh, measures. There, there wasn't a cluster of accidents or a cluster of near misses that would attract safety attention and draw you to those projects and cause you to examine how work was being done. There was nothing. There was, there was no warning. And in fact, you know, in my 40 years of safety, I don't think I've ever had anyone say to me following a fatality, we were expecting that. It always comes as a surprise on a project that doesn't deserve it because the guys are really committed to safety. So, uh, you know, theoretically, we were taught one thing, and I think our life experience is very different. So we break down that dangerous assumption with them, and we start to... We start to knock at the notion of compliance being mandatory, that compliance is all important. And, and we start to try and pick away at some of the fears that they've got of the cost of non-compliance. So everyone worries about the cost of non-compliance. My bigger worry is, you know, what is the cost of unnecessary compliance? What are the rules that we follow we don't need to follow? Where are, the, where are the procedural constraints that are causing us to spend money and deploy resources that actually no longer apply to us? How much performance drag does our system create that actually we don't need to have anymore? So, you know, what's the cost of unnecessary compliance? And then I think at the very end of all of, all of this, the characteristic of safety is how do we change people? How do we get them to behave the way that we, we want them to behave? So that kind of is one side of the equation. It's not a very appetizing um, description of safety. It's, it's kind of like a job description for a traditional safety person, and it's a, it's a pretty depressing one. So if that's what you want to move from, where do you want to move to? And, and we said that, well, the system provides you a framework within which people create safety. So people are not... Um, your biggest risk in an organization. In fact, people receive, manage, and somehow get through all of the different and, and, and competing values that the organization throws at it. So, this, you know, the commitment to safety, the commitment to efficiency, the commitment to productivity, all of these things, our people manage on a daily basis to, to you know, to, to, to juggle all of these different values and yet be successful. Um, you know, our, our incident rate is something like three in a million at the moment. You know, if we're to, if we're to do safety traditionally, we have to wait 330,000 hours before anything happens apparently that we can learn from. It just seems a, an absolute nonsense. So we think of people as being the solution that they're, they're innovative, they're, they adapt, and they come up with some amazing fixes d despite all of the, the clutter that the organization throws at them. Um, and that rather than change people, we should be trying to figure out how we support people uh, to be successful because only people can adapt, can respond to change, 
Um, the system can't. The system is written down. It's fixed. It can't respond to change quickly enough. Um, and that's that, so. That's the alternative. Um, the, the alternative vision that we presented to to Lang O'Rourke that safety is the capacity of the organisation to flex under various conditions, rather than simply the absence of something that you that you don't want to happen. And and, um, and, and your engineers, their heads didn't explode when you said this to them. I mean, they were well. They get yeah. Well, they they get very negative to start with, but you start telling them you, you start asking them questions and telling them stories about you know about how things really happen, and and you convince them over time. So. You you ask them, well, how do you know? How do we know as an organisation that the things that we find when we investigate accidents, how do we know they aren't happening all the time? You know, the unique, what we consider to be the unique aspects of an unwanted outcome. How do we know that they are not happening all the time? How do we know the procedure that isn't followed or the, the toolbox talk that isn't delivered or the the method statement, which isn't updated, that we attribute to being causal in an accident, how do we know they aren't happening all the time? Well, the answer is, well, you don't, unless you look at normal work, unless you examine normal work, you have no idea how messy normal work is and, and how difficult it is for our people to be successful. Um, so you shift their gaze there and, and you, you start to tell them stories about you know, how nonsensical some of our current approaches are. Now, I think it's important to say that we're not saying you simply dismiss everything that we've done for the last 30 or 40 years, because that's not the case. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to fall into the trap, and I think we have to be careful of not falling into the trap that we accuse others of falling in, of, of, of creating, and that is, you know, of binary thinking. This is, this is not about one way or another. This is about one way and another. So there are existing tools which are extremely effective that we should continue to, to use. But I think we have to use them in a different way. So it's not about abandoning everything we've done so far. It's, it's about using the knowledge that we've, we've got thus far, um, but applying a, a, a different lens to it. And, and the story that I told the business to get them to understand how this was, was I wanted them to imagine that they were, that they'd gone to their doctor and 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 said in, in in 12 months time doctor i am going to take part in the world ironman championships and you know the doctor looked at them and said yeah, i'm sorry mate you you know you're 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 28 stone there's no way you're doing world ironman champ championships in 12 months and and so you say to your doctor well what is it i need to do the doctor says well a start would be to lose a lot of unnecessary weight and I think that's what organizations have done. They've lost a lot of unnecessary weight through preventable and predictable accidents. And they're now down to a fighting weight. You know, the traditional asymptote curve that you see of accident rates falls down to a level that you don't appear to be able to improve on. And that's where we were. We weren't able to make any uh, impact by management on that, low, that lower incident rate. And so you go back to the doctor when you reach your fighting weight and you say to the doctor, right, well, I'm at my fighting weight now. I can take part in the Ironman. And the doctor says, no, no, um, there's something different you now need to do. You need to get fit. You need to build resilience. Now, the interesting thing about that story is the outcome of both of those tactics and both of those strategies is exactly the same. You know, the resilience and fitness to take part in Ironman. But the two, the two chunks of that approach, dieting, and, and fitness 
are very different, but they're complementary. So I kind of like to think of what we're doing now as being complementary to what has been done before, but appearing to be very different from it. And you tell that story to a bunch of engineers, a bunch of male engineers, and they get it. They start to, they start to understand what it is you're trying to do. I hear you. I mean, that's, that's so encouraging. I'm so glad we, we're having this conversation. So what's the future look like? What, what are you thinking about now? Well, so we've, 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 t- we've taken this general approach and we've, st- we've created a bunch of tools around that. So I think if you were to open our management system um, in Australia and now in Europe, you would, you would recognize the contents page. It, you know, it's got, we, we investigate stuff, we train people, we, we have paperwork, we have control measures. There are certain things that we don't negotiate on. But then when you, when you dive into it, you would see a very different way of, of, of safety working. You would see um, most of our time spent in understanding the difference between work is planned and work is done and detecting drift in the organization, an an obsession with fatal and severe risk. So we, and we resource all of this by by no longer looking at stuff which is trivial or irrelevant. So this doesn't cost us any more money um, and doesn't cost us any more in terms of time and resource because we release a lot of time and resource from not doing the, the trivial stuff that we used to think were, you know, was, a, was rules because the, le- the legislator required it. And in fact, the regulator never required it. It's just rules that have built up over time in a system that has become increasingly complicated and cumbersome. Um, so we've got tools now that investigate success. We've got tools that investigate normal work. We have a peer review that allow us, allows us to um, sort of undertake appreciative inquiry and collective insights into how work is done. We still investigate what goes wrong, but we investigate it with a very different lens. So rather than try and reverse into an incident, which in my opinion actually just tells a story, it explains what happens. It doesn't actually get to the bottom of why it happened. We go way back and we say, so when is the first time we knew we were going to be doing this? And how did we set ourselves up for success in it? And we start to look at it forward. So decisions start to make sense the way they made sense to people involved in the incident. And we have a very different model of leadership as a result. So our leaders accept that they no longer have all the answers, that um, you know, a good leadership visit is not a visit where they have imparted all of their knowledge on other people. A good leadership visit is actually where they've learned something. And so they ask different questions. The questions like, can you tell me about a time when work was really difficult here? Um, when's a good day? When's a bad day? You know, why was a good day a really good day? Why was a bad day a really bad day? If I had $50,000 to give to you to spend on safety on this site, how would you spend it? And, and, and that starts to generate trust, which is incredibly important in all of this. And it starts to bring out answers that you would not have got had you simply been there telling people about how safety should be done and and leading, you know, this phrase, leading by example. Um, So there's a bunch of stuff happening across the piece, um, all the way from induction, the way we induct people, to the amount of um, dialogue that we encourage 
in toolbox talks and daily activity, activity briefings and in all other briefings, all the way up to the way that we do our leadership visits and the way that you know our safety committees and safety leadership teams work. So it, and I think you know it's not really about safety. It's it's about a business that wants to create success. It's a business that wants to work efficiently, and and safety is just kind of a neat Trojan horse to introduce these different ways of thinking into it. How are you building expertise? How are you how yeah. are you building a capacity for peer leaders for for leadership to get better on these new ideas? That seems to be the problem. Yeah. I think about all yeah. the time. Yeah, it, it's a big issue. It's a big issue for us. Um, so there are a number of different ways that we're doing it um, and a number of different groups we're doing it with. We've actually found that there are, there are a lot of um, business leaders who completely understand this way of working and, and actually feel quite released um, and encouraged when you tell them this is what you're planning to do. Um, but simply there was no other version of safety available for them to do it with. Um, you know, they might not have liked the fact that this was the only way they could do it, but it was the only way you could do it. And you could bitch about it as much as you wanted. There wasn't an alternative. Well, there is now. Um, and I'm not saying it's the only alternative. I'm not saying, you know, leave, leave the church of zero harm and come and join our church. I encourage debate as much as possible. Um, and I would like to think there are other ways of doing this. I'm not I'm not as arrogant to think as this is this is the only way, but there are a whole bunch of senior people and and um, you know leaders in the organisation at all levels who actually like to manage this way and they now feel encouraged and empowered to do that. So there's a bunch of people actually get it straight away and want to work this way. I think there's an issue with with the function um, or the profession in that uh, there's a lot there are a lot of people who joined this profession because it was a policing uh, style of role. It was about, you know, dictating how things were done. It was about black and white. It was about, you know, clarity and accountability and all of these things kind of kind of disappear a little bit um, within safety differently. And so we are working on a, on a new set of competencies and skills for safety people and encourage them, encourage them to take um, this new direction with us. Some of them are very comfortable with it and they're, they're really keen to make the changes. Others aren't. And um, and we've seen a number of people leave our organisation as a result and go to work for organisations where safety is a policing activity, and and, and that's fine. Um, but we're looking at, at competencies on, on on rule breaking rather than rule taking on on risk um, appetite. So things that we would have traditionally shied away from, I think, in safety, we're now looking to to encourage thinking in that space so that we can understand the sorts of difficulties that people experience when they come to work every single day and work for us. You know, the individuals who build our build, build our buildings and complete our infrastructure projects, they have a, they, you know, they have a difficulty in managing risk every single day because of the, you know, the difficulties we throw in front of them. And yet they, they achieve success you know, millions of times without us really being interested about it. We need to understand how they do that. Simply, simply criticizing them when things go wrong, I don't. It's no longer good enough. We we need to understand how people generate success, and that that requires our safety people to have a different mindset around the creation 
um, and adaption of rules and the way that risk is viewed in an organization. So we're tackling it at all levels. We're, we're trying to create um, the right raw material by working with the educational establishments and the professional institutes, try and get them to look differently at it as well, because there is no doubt we're still churning out far too many people who see safety as a black and white um, and don't see safety, I think, as, as, the organize, as part of or as an outcome of a successful organization. But it, it's a huge problem. You're absolutely right. I'm proud of you guys. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm super proud of you. I, it's I pretty can't, tough sometimes. <laughs> I can't even tell you how glad I am that we had this conversation. Can we do it again? I, I think yeah, you have anytime, more, mate, I think, anytime. I think you may have more to say. I could be wrong, but it feels like there's more in there. Well, it would be good. To, it certainly would be good to come back and talk about things like metrics once we've nailed those down, <laughs> you know, um, and, and how we're getting on with it, because it still is very much in its infancy, I think. Um, we've been doing it for about two and a half years in Oz this way and, and just over a year and a half now in, in the UK. There are still some parts of our business untouched by it, but it's encouraging to see the number of clients and peer groups who are very interested in this. Um, so I, I think an awful lot of the time we get told, well, you can't do this because such and such won't be interested. Um, you know, clients won't be interested. You'll scare them away. Actually, I found I haven't found any single person that I've talked to not interested in this. They might be a little bit daunted by it, but they're interested. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks for your time today, man. Good luck. Pleasure, Todd. Pleasure. Let's, let's do this again soon. You want to? More than happy. All right. Look forward to it. Thank you, John. Take it easy, mate. See you later, brother. Bye-bye. That was John Green. What'd you think? Told you. I told you. I'm not a liar. I'll fudge it a little, but I'm not a liar. Now, doesn't John have a lot of good things to say? There's a lot of content in that podcast, a lot of content, and it's worth listening to over and over again. That's one you want. You might want to share. I mean, that's, that's one to think about a lot. Um, he, he, he pretty much lays it out there and that's just the beginning of the conversations we'll have. Uh, look for more, uh, cause I guarantee you'll see more because they're worth having. So that's the podcast. I, I hope you get what you need for sure. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Um, subscribe, tell your friends that makes a huge difference. It really does. Thanks for being here and, and for goodness sakes, be safe. And this podcast is brought to you by one of my very, very, very favorite works of published narrative, of, of written narrative. One of my favorite, favorite things to read in the whole world. The American Constitution. I can't support the American Constitution enough, and I ask you to make it your favorite document as well. If you're interested, go to ACLU.com.